Our lesson talks about how King David woke up one day with this bright idea that he had in his mind. He said, I want to build a building for God to live in. So this is a good Sunday for us, for us to ask that question. What is church? What does it mean to have a building and where is God? And as we consider this question about what church is, I'd like for us to do it in the context of what we have been doing over the past couple of weeks and speaking about the spiritual but not religious segment of our church and of our population. Remember the spiritual but not religious are the ones who uh, will say, and of course there might be some here who consider yourself spiritual but not religious, and I've had my moments as well. But you'll hear this something to the effect of, well, I really like Jesus, but I don't like church. So the question is, if they don't like church, then why not, and what can we do about it? So to help us think through that, I'd like to present three different models for church. First of all, we can consider that church is like a museum, and in that sense, the pastor is the curator of the museum. And I see this a lot when people come back with very, uh, come back to Muscatine, perhaps to bury somebody in their family, and they'll come back to church and, and like to see how things are in the building and connect with the memories, and there's nothing wrong with that at all except for the fact that if we continue down that path, then sooner or later we're looking at church as a museum and only for what it represents in the past. In this model of church as a museum, church is important because of what it used to be. The problem with this model of church is that it denies the ability of what God has planned for the future. God is only important because of what happened in the past. And church as a museum confirms the worst suspicions of the spiritual but not religious because it portrays church as a relic of a bygone era. For many people, church is like Howard Johnson's restaurants. It used to be a place where everybody ate, right? Everybody ate in the past. But now there are only two Howard Johnson restaurants still open. Therefore, church as a museum is just simply not a faithful model of what it means to be the body of Christ. So another way of looking at church is not just as a museum, but let's build church to be a temple. And in this model, Church is important because this is where God lives. Church is important because it is under the assumption that this is where you come to find God and God cannot be found outside these walls. The problem with this model of church being a temple, a house for the Lord to live in, is that it impinges upon God's freedom. It implies that church, that God is only found within the walls of a church. And if that's the case, then you get into a little God over here and a little bit of God over there at St. Matthias and a little bit of God over there at Hillcrest Baptist. 
And then you see the problem we continually argue amongst ourselves about who has the most holy and apostolic walls. As if to say, God exists here in our church, but not so much over there in your church. My God is bigger than your God. Well, as you can imagine, the, not only uh, we're laughing about it, but the spiritual but not religious have a field day with this model of church. They look at church folk arguing amongst themselves, and they see how church people can sometimes be judgmental, and at worst we can be dogmatic, and they just walk away. Many people simply can't find God in church because of all the noise and chaos that God's people are creating. So for many, it's actually easier to find God in the sunset or in a walk through the woods. And did you catch what God said to David back then when David suggested that David would build God a house to live in? God's response to David's was, you want to build a house for me to live in? I've never lived in a house, not since I brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I've always been on the move, God says, and I've never asked for you to build me a house to live in. I mean, sure, he says to David, your heart is in the right place to be sure, and there's nothing wrong with your motivation. There's no need to feel guilty or ashamed, but let's just understand the proper order of sequence here, God says. It's me. It's me, God said, who is doing something for you. So you're not doing me any favors. I am the Lord over all of creation, and you can't put me in a box. So the view of church as a temple to protect God is simply not a faithful model either. So if church as a museum and church as temple aren't what God had in mind for church, then what is it? Well, this is where God is most helpful in his response to David. Basically saying that church is a promise. And this is what surprised David the most in our story. He thought he was going to do something for God, but all along it was God who was doing something through David to fulfill a divine purpose. It was God who had brought David to be king, and it was God who had made David comfortable in the house of cedar that he lived in. But that is not all. It is this same God who is going to open up a new future story, unlike anything that had ever happened in the past. The scriptures say that God will give David a house, descendants who will do nothing less than be the lineage for the coming Messiah. So you get that? David says, I'm going to build you a house, and God says, no, I'm building you a house, a line of descendants. It's your heritage I'm giving to you. 
So for those of you who are ever curious about where the notion came from, that Jesus would be a descendant of King David, it's right here in 2 Samuel chapter 7. This is the beginning point for all of that expectation of the covenant that Christians believe that God fulfilled through Jesus. This is huge stuff for the Old Testament. So church is a promise of something that God is going to do in the future. And the beauty of this model is that it is a faithful model given to us both by the Old and the New Testaments. The model of church as a promise is grounded upon who God is in the future. And of course we say that the future is related to the past. I'm a history major from a long time ago, so I honor and respect history. And then so we can look back and see what God had done to guide and protect David. And you yourself, you can look back upon your own life and think about how God has been faithful to you in the past and provided for you and sustained you. And of course, at the same time, we know that the present is important. But the church as a promise for the future opens up a new story. It is so new and so wonderful that it is really beyond our comprehension. This is the God who opened up a new future by bringing the people of Egypt of the people of Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt. This is the God who opened up a new future by choosing the smallest, most insignificant shepherd from a little dump of a town called Bethlehem. This is the God who brought about a new reality in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. This is the God who created something new when the spirit of Pentecost anointed the disciples and they became church. This is the God who has brought you out of your fear and despair and anxiety. And this is the same God who has brought you here today to be in this place so that you may hear again the power and the majesty and the faithful covenant love of a good and gracious God. It's like when I was back in seminary, I took a class from Dr. Eugene Boring. It's a great name for a New Testament scholar, Boring. But he explained the Bible and how it views the church, like it's a long stream of water, a river. He explained that going back to ancient times, the time of Abraham, and maybe even before that. And the people of God have been a part of this flow of water, this river for centuries. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Joshua, Esther, Samuel, David, Isaiah, Daniel, Jesus, the disciples, Peter, Paul, and all the way up to right now, the stream of believers is like the waters of a river that just keep flowing and flowing and flowing. 
And the source of the river is God, of course. And our task is to get on that river and let it carry us along the way of life, faithfully trusting God to guide us and to carry us. That's why the song that Cynthia sang, The Ship of Zion, is so appropriate for today because it talks about this movement forward, that we're heading somewhere. The church has a promise. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? We certainly should understand rivers here in Iowa, right? The river is even part of a new church logo that we have come up with and worked with. The river came before us as a church, and it will be here long after we are gone. But the good news that we need to hear right now is that that river of faith is supporting us along the journey of faith. We have been baptized in that water, and that is all that we really need and really all that matters. People who are thirsty, regardless if you consider yourself spiritual, religious, or any combination of above, people who are thirsty want that water and they come after it. The spiritual but not religious, the SBNRs, you might say, are people who are clearly saying, if you are going to be a church like a museum, where you look back at some romantic past and forlornly pray to a God who lives in reverse, they're saying we're not interested. And the spiritual but not religious, the SBNRs, are also people who have made up their mind already that if you're going to build a church that is a temple where you are more interested in preserving God and protecting God and championing your God to be better than the next God, then that's what they don't need at all. They're not buying that. But I suspect that the spiritual but not religious might be interested in a church that is a church of promise pointing forward to a Messiah who has come and who is coming again to make all things new. And on a Sunday after what we've seen in Aurora, don't you think that is a message that we need to say? That there is a God who is making all things new and can bring hope out of despair. That's certainly what I'm interested in, and that's why I'm here. Amen. So I'd like for us now to stand and recite a portion of the Belgic Confession about the church.